Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Hope you're having a great day. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. Hey, listen, if you missed my show yesterday with Jeannie Lucky, I want to really encourage you to go take a listen to it. Um, it, uh, it sort of speaks for itself, but it's a it's a show that, that talks about adversity, overcoming the odds, about perseverance. I think it's an incredible – hers is an incredible story about – accepting reality as it is and and just making the best of it and not in her case not just making the best of it but being a fundamentally important community leader in so many different ways it's truly an inspiring story so if you missed my conversation with Jenny Lucky uh, go take a look at it you can go to the uh, uh, Ricky Matthews slash Coast View Facebook page you can go to the Super Talk Mississippi Facebook page or the Mississippi uh, Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast Facebook page or your favorite podcast uh, to take a listen to it. Incidentally, I was looking this morning at some of the numbers on Coastview, and uh, you know, you get because of Facebook, you get a lot of you get a lot of statistics, and uh, it was it was really um, humbling to see how many people are engaging in the show these days. Really, really incredible. In fact, next week I might share some of the numbers with you as we get start to get some new numbers in. So it's just it's fundamentally. Incredible, the number of people who are engaging with the show. So I, I really appreciate it. And it's a, it's a sign that we're making an impact, that people like the approach that we're taking. And I really appreciate you listening on 103.1 or however you, however you choose to listen. Hey, I want to share something with you before we go to the show. By the way, we've got a great show today. I found um, this wonderful piece about overthinkers on, on motivation, uh, the fuel. It's called Motivation, the Fuel. It's just a, it's just a site. And it said the 10 facts about overthinkers. And, uh, you know, I'm a bit of an overthinker. You know, a lot of people listening to the show might be overthinkers. And if you're not, you know people who are. But I just thought it was pretty powerful. And here's what it said. Number one, when they're sorry, they're really sorry and hope you accept their apology. Number two, they can't sleep at night if they make the wrong choice. It doesn't matter the choice. Every choice is important to them. Number three. They're not insecure control freaks. They just think a lot. Number four, they can't let anything go because if they understand it better, they can change the outcome. I like that one. Number five, they have high expectations. They're they're very hard on themselves and they expect a lot from others. Number six, they're indecisive. But once they decide you can't, you cannot change their mind. Boy, that's a, that's definitely true. Number seven, it's really difficult for them to live in the moment. They always worry about what's going to happen next. Number eight, they all, they they always try to be on time and prepare, and usually have more than one alarm clock set. <laughs> I've heard that before. Number nine, overthinking doesn't make them crazy. They just think more than the average person. And then lastly, and I think just probably the most important, they know relationships can be challenging as they put added meaning behind every, anything that is said to them. Okay. And then at the end of the day, this is, I think, really important. But once they love you, 
they will always love you. Now, they're very committed people. I, I, I think that's terrific. If, you know, if you're an overthinker, you probably related well to that. If you know an overthinker, it might give you some insight to, to the, how that person thinks. Okay, so now let's shift gears. I'm delighted, actually, today to have uh, a, a district attorney, the district attorney, uh, Crosby Parker, joining me today. He's responsible for cases in Harrison, Hancock, and Stone County. And I've been looking forward. I've been actually been trying to get our calendars in sync for quite a while now. And uh, I'm just looking forward to this conversation today. So anyway, anyway, without any further ado, Crosby, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing outstanding. Very excited to be on this morning. Hey, listen, uh, we saw each other. Now, look, we've, we have a mutual acquaintance. My brother-in-law, Peter Bohanovich, has been saying to me for quite a long time, uh, why haven't I had you on my show yet? And I told him that we're, you know, we've been working to try to make that happen. But he thinks the world of you, uh, you know, and your family. And uh, and I finally got a chance to meet you at the One Coast Awards, and it was a pleasure to finally get to meet you in that scenario. But uh, but the fact that you're close to Peter, I will not hold that against you. I'm also friends with Alan too, so that that kind of rises me up, right? <laughs> Both both great guys, as you well know. You know the family is very close, and you know I've, I've, they're both both brother in laws, but they might as well be brothers to me because that's that's how close we are. Hey, listen, we saw each other at the One Coast Award, and you were actually you were actually presented this year with the One Coast Award. I'm I'm privileged to have been the person and our company, the Sun Herald, starting the One Coast Award. I think it was our 20 year anniversary for the for the awards. Uh, along the way, the Sun Herald sort of handed that off to uh, the the chambers. Uh, the chambers collaborate around it now under the the mantle One Coast Awards. But when I was doing it, Crosby, it was really important to me to say to people when I told them that they were winning an award this year, congratulations, enjoy the attention that you're going to get but i really want you to focus on this that we're going to be holding you as it up, up as an example for others and hopefully others will be inspired by the example that you're setting to to in your case to be in public life to give back to the community um to have had a great career in the air force and national guards we're going to talk about all that in, here in just a second but um you know to make that big decision to to be you know to get into politics which i know it's hard uh, it's hard, especially hard these days, and we'll talk a little bit about why that is in just a second. But, but you were recognizing all those things, and I think you're you're the kind of guy that we had in mind when we started the awards to show people what they need to do in order to uh, in, in order to contribute to the com- the the, the uh, community. But you you understand that responsibility, don't you? Uh, absolutely. When I found out that I was going to receive the award, it was it was very humbling. Because when you look back over the 20 years and you see the people that have been recognized, those are big shoes to fill. And what I told a couple of them when they came and congratulated me, I said, look, y'all, y'all built the plow and you've been pulling it. I just want to help out. And it, it just was really wonderful because, once again, you know better than anybody, we sometimes focus on the negative. Uh, yeah. that, that gets a lot of the clicks. But to celebrate the men and women who are actually out there on our coast making a difference, that's exciting to me. And to be part of that group, it really energized me to know, okay, we may be able to do something here and to help collaborate with some of the men and women up there. Uh, I shared the stage with Leonard Papania. This is somebody that I've worked with you know, over the last decade at the DA's office. 
And now we're trying to take that relationship and expand it into different mentoring programs and things like that. So uh, suffice it to say, it really did fire me up uh, to be part of that group and to just be with all the other men and women who have been uh, recognized. Yeah, it was a great, great group this year. And, you know, one of the things, and, and we're going to get, we're going to take a step back in, uh, in just a second and get back to sort of where you grew up and all of that. But while we're on this theme, you know, it's interesting to be in the DA's role because you get to see, you get to see challenges that a community has. Let's put it that way. So in so many different ways, the challenges could be crime. It could be child abuse. It could be it could be white collar crime. It could be so many different things. And what it gives you an opportunity to see from where you're sitting is the importance of mentoring programs. For example, the Boys and Girls Club, we'll come back to that in a second. The, while the Child Advocacy Center is so important, the Gulf Coast Center for Nonviolence, CASA, we, I mean, we could go into a lot of detail about all these things. But what I often say on the show, and I, I go back to the, the first President Bush when he talked about the thousand points of light. After Katrina here in coastal Mississippi, we got a, an incredible education about what it takes after you've been hit by the worst natural disaster in American history. And long since Katrina, what it takes to keep a community like ours ticking is massive a co collaboration between volunteers of all stripes working in so many different ways with, with, with offices like yours, for example, to, to help this community stay as whole as it possibly can. And it, man, it takes, it takes a lot to make that work, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, and you recognize as a district attorney, we handle uh, individuals who have been victimized by crime. And there's nothing that we can do to ever take that away from them. We try to help walk them through the process, hold the wrongdoer accountable, but also help in that healing process. And it can sometimes get you down. But what is so positive in my role is I also get to see a lot of heroes. I get a lot of I get to see a lot of people who can bounce back. And I get to see a lot of different groups that you just mentioned, CASA, uh, the Child Advocacy Center, uh, the Boys and Girls Club that are working with these individuals. And I'll tell you, that's what, look, First and foremost, we're going to hold a wrongdoer accountable, but we also need to once again work with one another so that we can help the victims go forward and bounce back. Well, when we come back, we have uh, Crosby Parker as the DA for Harrison, Hancock, and um, hang on just a second. My, for whatever reason, I just... But my thing froze up in Stone Counties. I, I knew that, but uh, I was looking up and my, my screen went blank. But anyway, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. We're going to start from the beginning. Where did he grow up and uh, where did he go to school? Where did his uh, commitment to the military come from? We'll talk. It's extensive, actually. We'll get into all that here when we come back. We'll see you after this break. live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. We have Crosby Parker, the DA for the Second Circuit District uh, uh, Court District, excuse me, for Hancock, Harrison, and Stone Counties. And uh, boy, he has his hands full. <laughs> we will get to that. We will get to that shortly. Uh, as I mentioned before, we went to uh, the break. Uh, Crosby has just an incredible story about his commitment to the military. And we'll get into where that all came from here now. But why don't we start with this? Where did you grow up, Crosby? Well, that's a that's an interesting question. I was actually born in Canton, Mississippi. Uh, I've got two brothers and a sister. We're all a year and a half apart. Uh, my dad started working for the attorney general's office. But in elementary school, my grandparents had a railroad construction business up in southern Illinois. So I actually went to high school up in Southern Illinois, but my dad was a baseball player for Mississippi State. I was the number two son, and he said, you're going to Mississippi State. So that brought me back to the state of Mississippi uh, where I took an Air Force ROTC scholarship. And I, I met my beautiful wife at Mississippi State who was born and raised in Gulfport, Mississippi. And uh, I can tell you this, this is a good story, is in 97, I got invited by some friends to come down to the coast for Mardi Gras. And I went to Cavaliers and it was one of my first dates with my future wife. And at that time I fell in love with her and I fell in love with the Mississippi Gulf coast. So wow. it, it, it's pretty interesting how that happened. So you, you went to state, what was your undergraduate degree in? I was an accounting major. Uh, and I had a pilot slot because my brother was a Navy is, was a Navy pilot. But I found out that that was a 10-year commitment, and he said, you may not want to go that route. So I ended up taking the law school interest exam, did well, and the Air Force allowed me to go to law school before serving my active duty time. Well, it's interesting, you know, because I've known, I, I have my, my background is business, obviously, and had a lot of accounting in the MBA program and so on. But Accounting is a is a is a good one to have actually when you're a lawyer and when you're in your role. You, it helps you sort of understand how it all works. It was, it really was because you know when you deal with white collar embezzlement things of that nature, it can get very complicated. And because of my undergrad degree, when I first started at the DA's office, Kono Karana and then Joel Smith kept giving me some of those high profile corruption cases because of my accounting degree. So, and then now in my role as the DA, as you know, dealing with budgets and dealing with employees and dealing with three different counties and state funds and county funds, that's, it's, a, it's been a very helpful background to have. And it helps to develop sort of an attention to detail. Did you always have that in your, you know, if you go back in your, in your life? Uh, my parents said that I was very early on a list maker and that I would set the alarm and that I would get up early. And, and you were mentioning an overthinker at the very beginning. I think you were describing me. I do have two alarms. <laughs> and, uh, but no, in the military, that's one of the things, too, that, that they really focus on. I remember in boot camp, they said attention to detail. If I can't trust you with the small things, how can I trust you with the big things? And that's something that I've really carried with me. Yeah, it's uh, it's so interesting to see the impact that, you know, these steps of your life and how they influence you and start to build the foundation for, in some cases, serendipity. You just don't, you don't know, like that was, that was a serendipitous moment when you uh, made that decision not to go to the accounting route once you left uh, Mississippi State and, and to, to go to law school. 
and uh, you know each each step kind of builds on the other and you have all these you have so many different steps that, that you went through that led you to this position but all these experiences that you got i mean the opportunity <clears throat> the opportunity to serve an active duty uh, where did that take you when you when you did that that and it was incredible as a brand new lawyer to go on active duty my first duty assignment was in Cheyenne, Wyoming. So I was newly married. My wife and I, they sent us to Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I started off, which they gave me unbelievable opportunities, not only to be in the courtroom, but to do environmental law, do contract law, to do claims adjusting. And it just showed me, but then it also showed me what I enjoyed doing. And I just immediately gravitated toward the courtroom. Uh, and so my next assignment, they sent me to Europe. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so talk, tell me about that. Well, so once again, my wife and I packed up. We went over. We were stationed in England for two and a half years. And when I was in England, I became a defense counsel. So instead of prosecuting, I defended airmen in England, Germany, and Italy. And I would travel that circuit for two and a half years. And I tell people all the time to be good at prosecuting cases, go be a defense counsel. It really does teach you the ins and outs of both sides of that equation, which I think is very important. Well, what's interesting about that, you were learning that, obviously the defense side of things for sure, but to learn it while being in Europe and seeing the diversity of Europe and the difference in the way the governments operate and the the, the, you know, what my old friend Reed Geist told me, he went there on honeymoon many years ago and he said, the thing I remember most about Europe is that everything is old. <laughs> That's the way he talks about it. But it's true, man. I mean, you know, when you go to, uh, Ann and I were in Croatia a couple of years ago and God, it's so beautiful. Everything is so, it's so different. It's so beautiful. But it gain, you gain a perspective, don't you, from uh, being overseas and sort of seeing it from another, uh, through other people's eyes. It, it really was, especially I was probably 28 years old. Uh, and there were times when some of my clients will have gotten in trouble down in the city. So either Cambridge or London, and I'd have to go down there and meet with their barristers and their prosecutors. Well, before we'd have a meeting, they would roll in a tea cart and everybody would get their cup of tea before you'd have this meeting where in America, you know, we get right to business. You know, we've got, we're on a strict schedule, but they would want to have this sit down discussion about one another before we would get into the, the meat of the case. It was very interesting for a young man to be able to see that. Yeah. I had a conversation recently with Craig Ray from Visit Mississippi who worked for both Bushes uh, along the way. And one of one of the uh, one of the really important uh, uh, visits that he was responsible for was the first time that George W. Bush met with the Queen. And, and in the conversation, talked about all the formalities, you know, all these incredible formalities. But you're right. I mean, the, it, you know, certainly at the royal sta stage, you know, it's there's a lot of them. But but it does sort of kind of, you know, trickle down into their culture. And it's good to know those things, though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And it, it, it's good. As you know, when you go into environments that you're not completely familiar with, it, it helps you to learn to adapt. And one of the things you said to to come up to a leadership level you have to go through so many steps that prepare you for that 
in each one of them, I had a general tell me when I was just a captain, look, saw the log in front of you, do the best job you can, and then build on each of those experiences. And that's just, that's such good information. I love the way he said that, saw the log in front of you. And I quote John Hairston all the time. Uh, who said on my show that you know you you don't just choose to go be president of the of the chamber or United Way or or whatever it might be. You have to do your reps. You have to flex muscles and learn the way it works and work your way up. It's same thing true inside an organization. You have to you don't just become the CEO of the company for goodness sakes. You gotta you gotta do your reps and and hope that you can you know rise to that level eventually. But I love saw the log in front of you and do the best you can. That that's really good advice. Well, and I'll tell you, as a JAG in the military, what was so interesting is that I had the opportunity to advise so many different commanders. You know, from lieutenant colonels to colonels to generals, and I got to see the way that they made decisions. And that was such a great learning experience that you don't realize you're getting it when you're in the heat of the moment. But yeah. later on, when you have the opportunity, you draw on that. You draw on watching other people, like you said, do those reps. And you learn watching them. And that was such a great experience for a young lawyer and also for somebody who eventually had leadership aspirations. So you did six years of active duty and then 14 years with the Mississippi Air National Guard. I mean, you you've uh, you did your reps, <laughs> and I'll tell you that was so. When we left active duty because uh, we were going to start having our family, there was only one place we were moving, and we we came immediately down to the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Uh, but my wife and I loved our military service, and we wanted to continue to be able to do that. And the Mississippi Air National Guard gave us that opportunity, uh, and I'm still this will be my twentieth year. Uh, in service. I'm currently the Colonel uh, State Staff Judge Advocate for the National Guard of Mississippi, so both the Army and the Air. There's about 12,500 members that we help provide legal services to. That's incredible, Crosby, uh, that you've you've sort of rose to that level, and while simultaneously, I might add, (laughs) you making the decision to get into public life in the way that you did. When we come back, we'll talk specifically about that decision. What what led him to say, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to run for elected office. And then we're going to talk about the DA's office. What's it all about? Man, it is you got to be a jack of all trades to be DA. And we'll, and we'll explain why here in just a second. We'll see you after this break. for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm, ha- I have, I'm having a terrific conversation with my friend, uh, Crosby Parker, who's, who is a DA here in Coastal Mississippi. <clears throat> he has a tremendous lot, uh, amount of responsibility, and I referred to this as we went to the break as to be a DA these days, you, you have to be sort of a jack of all trades. And 
And I, I, I would say that, that that describes the DA's office. They, they have so much they have to be responsible for. And we're going to get into that in a second. But where his, his area of responsibility is Harrison, Hancock, and Stone Counties. And uh, we'll start to kind of break up the framework here in just a second for what he's responsible for. But, Crosby, when did you decide that public life was for you and that you were going to run for an elected position? Well, I'll tell you this. When when I came to work at the DA's office, once again, it was just it's one of those things that you don't realize the effect it's going to have on you. But being able coming out of the Air Force, my wife and I not only wanted to move to the Gulf Coast, but we wanted to be part of the community. And being at the DA's office put me in contact with so many people. And I got to try so many cases and I got to talk to so many families of victims. And the DA's office is incredible. There's so many good men and women. We're talking 30 people. So whenever the opportunity came that uh, Joel Smith was going to go be the Court of Appeals judge, uh, that's when I went home and I talked to my wife and I said, look, uh, I care about this DA's office. I care about what it does on the, uh, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And I know that this is not going to always be fun whenever you're out front. Uh, but she said, you know, there's only one thing that we can do. Let, let's do it. And whenever I've gone forward with it, it was it really has been special. But once again, it's special because of what we do and the men and women in this office. And so uh, that makes me want to step up and fulfill the role that I feel like I'm ready for and that I've been ready for with my military experience and my prosecute, prosecutor experience. Okay, so why let's do this. Let's let's kind of frame it all up for people who don't really understand what the DA's office is all about. Um, we can, why don't we just start with the mission of the DA? I mean, essentially, what's the if you were in an elevator with someone and had one floor to tell them what the DA's office was all about, what would you say to them? Absolutely. So the district attorney for Harrison, Hancock, and Stone County, they handle all felony prosecutions in those three counties. And when I say a felony prosecution, it, it could be as simple as a possession of a drug all the way up to a capital murder. We don't handle any traffic tickets. We don't handle any misdemeanors, but all felony prosecutions go through the district attorney's office. So right off the bat, I can say that you're in a really, really important position to understand where the challenges in society are. And we'll get we'll get to in a second that there's always redemption. At least usually there is some possibilities for redemption. There are always victims, and and so there are organizations that are going to be aligned around them. Um, but when you look at the, the the work that you guys are doing, you know, like like I, I know that it really covers the spectrum in in terms of crimes. But what are the crimes these days that give you the most heartburn? Oh, it's, it's, you know, obviously, whenever you deal with crimes against children, and then what we're seeing an increase in is juvenile violence. I mean, when you're talking about that, that's got to be the most concerning, because that's where the uptick is. Yeah. And I'll tell you, as district attorney, one of the things I constantly am looking at is trends throughout the United States. I want to know if something's coming our way. How do we get prepared for it or what can we do to possibly uh, mitigate it or stop it? And so those will always be two of the sets of crimes that 
that really do worry us as far as what can we do to prevent well, listen, on, on both points, and I've talked about them often here on the show, the first, as it relates to kids, you know, it, it, it's, it, I, don't, I don't think any reasonable person who cares about society and kids in particular uh, can stomach some of what you have to deal with. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time on this show talking about human trafficking. And you know, they think about human trafficking and they think about something that's happening in a faraway land, but they don't realize it could be one of your neighbors mm-hmm. and, um, and and what's happening there. I've talked a lot about that I've, I've, from, from the attorney general down. I've had tremendous conversations about that. But any crime against children has to be a major priority. And it's obviously no acceptable number. Uh, <laughs> there's no acceptable number of, of crimes against children that are acceptable. Um, but, but to, to understand that there's a rise in those types of crimes, that's just, that's just, it's just incredible. The other is, as it relates to young people involved in crime, when I was in New Orleans, I spent a lot of time understanding the situation in New Orleans. And I spent a lot of time with Mitch Landry, the mayor of New Orleans. We became really good friends and, talked a lot about how the changing nature of the situation and what he said often about that incidentally was that the the kids have become or the people involved in crimes have gotten younger mm-hmm. they have tools now they have weapons that are much more destructive and much more dangerous not that a gun in you know a single gun is not dangerous but you know, he's just talking about the kind of tool the kind of guns and weapons that are available to them he says that he's talked to so many of them and that most of the time they're scared to death they're just literally trying to survive but they don't expect to live until tomorrow because of the the threatening scenario they have to live with and that makes them even more dangerous you know the fact that they're literally scared for their lives they've been told to do something and they go do it or the other thing is it's not Bloods and Crips anymore. It's neighborhood da- gangs, small, dangerous groups that are territorial, and they're fighting amongst themselves in ways that that will take generations to fix and that no one has really come up with a good answer for it yet. And unfortunately, you're seeing that drift into small communities all over America, and we're seeing it here in coastal Mississippi in a big way. Unfortunately, Crosby, it's got to it's worry you to death. It, it does. And, and you said something about it coming from big cities down to coastal Mississippi. And, and that's one of the things that I've really kind of started trying to partner with uh, other nonprofits on the Mississippi Gulf Coast is because our young kids aren't being mentored by people from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. They'll go on their phones, they'll go on their Internet, and they're being mentored by people throughout the United States that don't have our values. And one of the things that I'm really focused on, my wife works in an elementary school, is focusing on the eight to 12 year old age group. And the Boys and Girls Club and has been able to get a grant to really start focusing on that age group because that's, the age, that's your last real chance to make a difference. Because when a child gets a gun in their hands at 14 or 15, it's proven it's difficult to get them out of their hands without somebody going to jail or somebody being hurt. It's scary. You know, the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to focus on solutions, but there are no easy solutions. It really is generational. And, and I think your, your point about mentoring, is really important. A lot of the, lot of the uh, young men in particular come from, come from households that, 
didn't have have working parents or maybe didn't have parents at all. And it's a, it's a very concerning situation. But there are solutions, but it takes a community-wide you know, community-wide effort to, to deal with it. Maybe one day we'll come back and spend more time just talking about those two issues because they they both matter to me. I think they matter to most people a whole, whole lot, especially given the news that we're hearing these days. If you think about the structure of your office, t- tell me about, you know, how is it sort of divided out and where are your offices located? That's a, that's a great question. So, as I stated, we handle all the felony cases in the three counties. That's that's between 3,500 and 4,000 different charges every year. So we have offices in each of the major courthouses. So we have an office in Gulfport. We have an office in Biloxi. We have an office in Bay St. Louis and Hancock County. And we have an office up in Wiggins in Stone County. And obviously Gulfport, uh, the courthouse there, that's kind of our mothership. That's where we have most of our employees. But we have 14 different ADAs spread out across those offices and about another 16 to 17 support staff and investigators, victim coordinators, things of that to help us process through those cases. Well, how do you, as a leader, how do you, those are huge numbers and there's no rest for the weary. How do you keep your team motivated to want to continue every single day to come in and make a difference? We we talk about it on a regular basis. This is something that has to be part of our office philosophy, and that's that's being passionate about what we do. There's no doubt to want to come in and handle these kind of cases on a day-to-day basis, you have to want to make a difference. And with our office, when you start there, it kind of makes my job a lot easier because I know they want to. So now I just think about what do I need to do to ensure they have the resources to do what they need to do. And so, uh, yeah, it takes a lot of dedication. It really does. And you, you, you see people who love their work and want to make a difference and frankly, know they can make a difference to what they do, whether it's dealing with, with, uh, with victims or whether it's, you know, going into the courtroom and, and, and doing what needs to be done for, to a habitual offender or what, you know, there's any number of examples in all of that. Hey, when we come back, we'll have a final segment with Crosby Parker, the DA for Hancock, Harrison and Stone Counties. And we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, why does he stay involved in the community? How do all these dots connect when, when he's involved in, in terms of the work that he does? We'll see you after this break. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm really thrilled to have my friend Crosby Parker, the DA for Hancock Harrison in Stone County with us today. And we talked a lot about the structure, some of the kind of uh, cases that they're involved with. We, we could spend two more shows talking about the myriad of cases that they're, uh, that they're focused on and their philosophy, for example. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of focus in this office on pretrial diversion, on drug court. We said, you know, there's a real rise in the number of, of cases that are able to get into to the drug court. That's that's been. I, I hear so many good things about what the drug court is doing. We'll come back to that in just a minute. And then the uh, the, the issues around ho- house arrests and uh, you, I mean, you got you guys are working hard to try to give people opportunities. I mean, I know that there's these habitual offenders for sure, but 
there's a there's a lot of focus on. I, I guess the first thing you got to think of is the victim, and and where the victim is in any opportunities, at least initially, for uh, a a particular person to have. Uh, redemption sooner than later. In some cases, it's just, just going to have to come later. But how do you how do you think about that? Absolutely, we're we're always going to be a victim first office, uh, and we 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 want to make sure that the victim understands the process and that they have a say in the process. Ultimately, it'll be the district attorney's office uh, final decision, but we're going to work with them throughout. And one of the things that we talk about is. The defendant is it is it a is it a child predator or a violent crime or a habitual offender because there's no doubt they're going to jail that's the way that works but if they're a young first-time offender uh, there may be an opportunity for rehabilitation uh, and that's where the pretrial diversion program comes that's where our intervention drug court comes and if those individuals can survive those programs then they'll they won't have a felony on their record which is huge because as you know, you get that felony at age 19, it's going to be with you at age 29, 39, 49. And so we take that very seriously. But it, it, it's those first-time offenders that are nonviolent crimes that we'll talk to the victims about it, or if it's a drug crime or something like that, we'll see if we can get them help, because that's important. The, the thing we talked about at the beginning of the show is that it takes a community to make an office like yours work. And uh, so you, you've got your team approach, just you know, trying to understand how do you how do you give passionate service and what that's all about. Uh, you have all these nonprofits that are out there in the community. You mentioned the Girls and uh, Boys Club and the mentoring program that they're engaged with. I mean, it's listen. There's there's tremendous evidence. Tremendous evidence that if you can get them young, I, I think you mentioned, you know, from eight to twelve is the sort of the target. But if you get to young people at that age group and you impress upon them the things that need to be impressed upon them, so that as they get older they're making the right decision, you can change a kid's life. I mean, the the evidence is overwhelming in that regard. Uh, but you've got you're the Center for Nonviolence, which I've had on this show many times. The role that they play in helping to sort of you know, protect women and others. It's, um, it takes a community, doesn't it? Oh, you just mentioned some of our strongest partners, whether it's Stacy Riley at the Center for Nonviolence, whether it's the Child Advocacy Center, whether it's CASA. I tell people all the time that because of the work they do, it allows us to be able to focus on prosecution. It allows us to be able to focus on getting ready for trial, to hold the wrongdoer accountable, because we know that our victims are receiving services, they're receiving counseling, they're receiving what they need, the support they need to make it through the criminal justice system because it's not easy. It's not easy. So Crosby, as we start to wind down a bit, what when you think about your role in public life, what are you most proud of? I'm really proud of the team that we have at the DA's office. I mean, any any successful office is going to tell you it's about teamwork. And the men and women that we have been able to have, and look, I can't take all the credit for that. Kono Karana did a great job as a district attorney. Joel Smith did a great job as a district attorney. I was lucky enough to be the chief prosecutor for eight years. And so when I took over, I knew exactly what kind of office we had and what my role would be going forward. So I'm most proud of the people that we have and the mission that we can accomplish. 
I like the way, you know, okay, you know, from, from Kona through Joel to you, the, you know, when you've got all these cases, I mean, because even though maybe the leadership changes, the grind of the caseload and all the requirements associated with that, that never stops. So continuity, you just can't come into a, a role like you have unless it's broken, unless the system is broken, you got to fix it. You just can't come in there and shake it up. You, you got to, the continuity was really important, wasn't it? Oh, it, it, and, and you hit it when you said, look, you, you got to do your reps to be able to focus at the 30,000 foot view of 3,500 to 4,000 cases a year, you better know how to handle one. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's what kind of happened. And Joel did a good job of bringing me in early and getting to see both sides of not only trying the big cases, but also helping with the leadership. And that's where I think the military really helped me also. Well, it's great to have the opportunity to visit with you. I, we'll have you back. I, I really would love to kind of drill in to the issue that we're facing currently. Certainly, any issues around children and what, what, the, what the community can do to help is something I want to talk about. I really want to talk about this violent crime issue that we're having in the community. We, we just touched on it today, but it's complicated and it's and it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. But we're not alone. I mean, it's, it's as we, as we discussed, it's seeping into communities all over America, and uh, there's a lot of reasons for it. And as a set of communities, as a as a society, we better start to address it, or it's not going to get better. And if it's not getting better, it's probably getting worse. But it's been a pleasure to see your your commitment to your work and. And, you know, get a sense of your heart and, and what that means. And and, uh, and I've really enjoyed it, my friend. Oh, thank you, Ricky. It's a pleasure. I look forward to coming back on. You bet. So this has been Crosby Parker, the DA for Harrison, Hancock, and Stone County. And uh, it's been a, been a terrific conversation. I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.